it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Stromash, a podcast of the NFL Scotland team. And no, it's not the dulcet, very loud tones, it should be said, of Cameron Hobbs. We've put him in a small dark room, along with some throat lozenges. He'll be back next week, ready and recovered and toweled down. I was surprised he was unavailable, given San Francisco actually won a game, but we'll worry about that later. I'm Paul Mitchell. I'm joined by Charles Patterson and Jim Ballard, our quarterback guru. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our belter our Bowfin, and then we're going to do a deep dive into the quarterback play so far. Charles, first of all, good to see you. It's been a while since we caught up. How did your team get on last week? Just do a quick check. Oh, what a dig. See, I thought I was going to get a massive upgrade this week on the complete nonsense of last week. I was about to say this is like going from Buckfast to Beaujolais. That is correct anyway. Yeah, but you've already sniped in there at 30 seconds, so any goodwill has now gone down the toilet. (laughs) <laughs> oh, brilliant uh, uh, Jim great to see you How, how's the, the footballing teams in Ohio we, are they doing what you thought they would do uh, no the, the Browns are mentally draining um, thousands of dollars in uh, yeah just they're, they're, they're mentally abusive psychologists psychiatrists all the way down they uh they just can't seem to figure it out you know now you got watson who's supposed to come back which i hate that pickup anyways because everything that you know happened in the offseason right wrong or indifferent um you know i baker didn't do what i thought he was going to do now he's in carolina he's not playing very well but i still thought he was a good quarterback i went through you know what he did as far as trying to play through a torn labrum and a separated shoulder he played like shit. He didn't get it done. And, you know, they got rid of him. Brissett, I think, has played pretty well. The, the problem with the Browns has been their their defense has been terrible. They gave up, you know, 13 points in less than a minute and a half, uh, you know, early in the season. Games that were lost that should have been won. Um, you know, our defense is, is abysmal, um, you know. But I'm, I'm glad Joe Burrow's doing well. He, they had a, a big win against Pittsburgh this past Sunday. He played extremely well. Through for over 304 touchdowns. Um, the Bengals look pretty good. The Browns do not uh, have to see which way the Browns trend. Once Watson comes back, I believe he's going to play after this Sunday. So I have to wait and see. But um, I'm rooting for Burrow and uh, the Bengals. Jim, we, we, we're sort of banning the talk of Watson on this podcast, but we can do it for 10 seconds quickly. Is he going to save the season? Yes or no? No. <laughs> Hard no. <laughs> Didn't no, even need I just, to I just don't see it happen. No. Two, I just I don't see that happening. Um, he's he's a talented, talented quarterback. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, we, we weren't able to get Chubb going last week. There's some injuries on the offensive line. They, they just put another center on injured reserve. I saw today they just signed another center. Um, so their their, their defense is, is bad. Their offense is okay. Um, I really don't think it matters who's behind the center if you know you're not able to run the ball and you're you know trying to to get it done with a, a makeshift offensive line, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, it just seems another one wasted year, arguably, for the Browns. Let's check the games that took place at the weekend. I've already had my dig at Charles, but I thought the Titans were impressive getting past Green Bay. Uh, Bears and Falcons shared a lot of points, 51 points. Falcons out on top of that. Ravens-Panthers, not a thriller, but the Ravens continue. The Bills getting past the Browns, as we just talked about, in Detroit, the Commanders beating the Texans, no great surprise. Eagles, Colts, gentlemen, I think that's worth a little a little bit of chat. Sometimes, Jim, you've got to win ugly, and I would suggest that was a, that was a win ugly. You know what, at the end of the day, and I, I sent Nick Sirianni a text, he's a, he's a Mount Union guy, he's actually a guy that I coached. I've known Nick since he was a, a kid. Uh, I've known his family since the early 90s. I played with... Nick's older brother, Mike, at Mount Union when we won the first national championship in 93. Nick also played wide receiver at Mount, as did uh, his middle brother. Uh, phenomenal coaching tree. Um, but they, it, it doesn't matter. It, win ugly, blow them out, you know, 
you know, like the Patriots went on a punt return in the last few seconds. At the end of the day, nobody cares. Just stack those dubs, however that is. And if it's if it's a blowout or a close game, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What all that matters is the number that that shows up in that W column, and the Eagles continue to do that. Uh, Coach Nick Sirianni uh, doing a hell of a job in his second year as, as head coach. Has everybody bought in? You saw what he did last year, and now he's just building on the culture and the and the footprint that he wanted to lay down last year. You got Jalen Hurts, who's playing lights out, arguably an, an NFL uh, MVP candidate. Uh, they keep picking up guys, you know, to to, to get to, to fill the needs that they have. They just picked up Nadamik and Sue to, to to shore up that run defense, uh, which has been a little bit questionable at times. Um, you know, but Jalen is just really elevating his play. He's he's doing a great job as a leader. I love the way he handles the media. Uh, he's a total team guy. Talks about the offensive line. Talks about the defense. And the thing that's impressive so much to me about the Eagles is is the way that they compete. From from and that's the coaching staff to the offense to the defense to the special teams. I mean, you guys, you just see guys flying around, playing with passion, playing with fun, playing the game the right way, and it's and it's translating into, you know, them being nine and one and having the best record in the NFL right now. Yeah, they're looking good. You mentioned the Patriots getting past the Jets. I think it was the most exciting part of the game was that long return. Uh, Kevin Harlan on the call on CBS was fantastic. The Saints passed the Rams. Anytime anybody gets past the Rams is fine by me, but I'm trying not to disenfranchise our Rams fans listeners. Little upset perhaps, Charles. The Lions beating the Giants, 31-18. <laughs> I think that sums up the entire season, the fact that nobody on our uh, pick em picked the Lions and then they go and win. I, the, the thing is, the Detroit Lions are a well-coached team. They've just not got much talent. I don't think there's anything wrong with their coaching. Their defence has been terrible. Um, but over the course of the, the season, you've seen that they all play for Dan Campbell and they've got a good running game. They've got you know Swift when he's fit and Jamal Williams is one of the best one-two punches in the league. And they've got great players like St. Brown who can you know make plays here and there, but they've just not been able to put it together. I find it extraordinary that they've suddenly gone from one and six to four and six at this point in the season. And they're hitting a they're just about hit Thanksgiving, of course, and they've got a primetime game on Thursday night. The Giants have managed to get to where they were because of good coaching. I mean I, I witnessed it firsthand when I was in London watching them overcome Green Bay. That they, they don't have a, a you know they, they're more than the sum of their parts. And Detroit have have now almost begun to evolve into that team, I think, maybe a bit late. And it was just a bizarre result and a bizarre game in some respects. But actually, it sums up the way in which this league is this year, is that there's so much unpredictability out there that you can't write a team off like Detroit at any given time. Jim, I'm interested. I'm I'm going to give you a scenario, Jim, and I'll be really interested in how this goes. If you had the choice of watching two teams, Team 1 have better coaches but average players. Team 2 has average coaches but better players. Which team would you prefer to, to watch out of that? Probably better players because I think better players can overcome poor coaching. Um, and I think that starts at the quarterback position. There, there's quarterbacks that are just that good in their ability to, you know, play at a high level. You know, obviously Mahomes is, is phenomenal to watch. And, and then I, I, I really don't have a favorite team, but there's certain players that I really enjoy watching play. I, I love watching Allen play. Um, you know, I love watching Mahomes play and Rodgers and Brady and, and a lot of those guys. And, um, you know, I just, I just, the, the game has evolved so much. I mean, you see so much window dressing and, and, you know, shifts and motions and, you know, what Baltimore does with Lamar Jackson, which is, you know, basically a college offense. Um, you know, they run a lot of RPO stuff. He's dynamic and how he can stretch the defense from sideline to sideline. And then you have guys that can stretch the field vertically for him, you know, with a good tight end and the running game is good. And, um, but I'd rather I'd rather see a guy that uh, the average player, I believe. From that point or a of view, player, then, I should say. I, I, I wonder then, from that point of view, are the, are the Giants only able to get so far this year with what has been excellent coaching? Are they limited? I mean, they've got no receivers. They've got to seven and three despite having no receivers. 
which is extraordinary. And I wonder, you know, and I don't know whether you agree with me, where you think that this is the limit of what they can achieve. I don't know. I mean, you, you look at what Brady did with the Patriots and, you know, can, can you name me a, a bell cow back for the Patriots for four or five years? You know, you, there's my point is there was never one of those guys. Yeah. And in this situation, Dayball's done a, a phenomenal job. He did a great job when he was with the bills calling the offenses, you know, and Alabama, he won a national championship with Saban. And now he's, you know, coming to his first year as a head coach with the giants. He's done a great job with Jones, uh, really getting him going to, you know, eliminating his turnovers and, um, you know, protecting him more with the screen game and the short pass game, as opposed to just trying to stretch the ball vertically, vertically, where it's, you know, a lot uh, lower percentage. He's also very athletic and what he can do with his legs. He's a lot like Josh Allen and his ability to break tackles, extend plays. Um, I, I thought that the, that Baltimore was going to be limited. I thought that would run its course with, with Lamar Jackson because it's so gimmicky. You know, he's not a guy that can drop back and beat you just throwing the ball, you know, 25 or 30 times a game like Aaron Rodgers could, you know, in his day or, or Brady when the, when the way that they run their offense. Don't tell and Gordon they, that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you watch him play and, you know, he he looks exposed at times. But, it, it, you know, every year they're, you know, Baltimore's 11 and 5, 12 and 6. I mean, or, or whatever, they're always making the playoffs or making a good run. I think a lot of it is, you know, what kind of defense do you have? You know, can you afford to be a little a little bit limited on offense and what you do because you know that your defense is going to get you an extra possession with a turnover or two a game? You know, are you looking for your guy to to really carry the game at, at the quarterback position? Um, I don't think the Giants are really asking him to do that. And um, they've just found ways to win. They've won a lot of close games. Uh, Dable's still, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what he can do offensively with with the fact that he doesn't have a true number one wide receiver. Other games this weekend, Raiders stunned the Broncos in overtime. Uh, Derek Carr driving down, Broncos no possession overtime. Great touchdown to Devontae Adams. Cowboys absolutely manhandling the Vikings. I'll come back to that in a moment. The Bengals taking care of the Steelers. All in white, looking very good, the Bengals. Chiefs against the Chargers. Chargers scoring late. They left too much time on the clock. And absolutely nobody would bet it against Patrick Mahomes driving down for the winning score. And the 49ers mishandling the cards who got shuffled out the game in the second half. Let's come to our belter. Uh, Phil Spears gets in touch and he says, the sticks in my craw, the Cowboys. I okay, they did well. Brilliant on both sides of the ball. It's the missed complete performance. And he says missed when he means most he's seen from a team this season. And he doesn't feel particularly good about that. Joe Stephen, if you go away from home, stick up 40 points and concede a mere field goal, you're deserving of the belter of the week, especially against a team that was 8-1. Let's continue with the Cowboys. Love uh, Stephen Bryson. Barely any incompletion, so he'll nominate Dak Prescott as our belter. 40 points put on a team previously stingy with their points given away, showed this team as a Super Bowl chance. Uh, Kenny Law needs to basically say Tony Pollard needs to continue to be the starter and lead back even when Zeke is fit again. Another superb performance. And Lauren Callahan also for Tony Pollard, outgained the entire Minnesota Vikings offense production by six yards and outscored the Vikings by 11 points, helping to spur the Cowboys onto the largest road margin of victory in franchise history which is highly impressive. So, gents, before we talk about, you know, the the overall game, the Tony Pollard, is he now the number one running back in Dallas? He's certainly the most impactful. I think the question of, is he the starter? Is he the number one running back? I think that comes down to ultimately, you know, how much people care about that and whether Jerry Jones makes the call or not, because Jerry Jones loves Zeke Elliott. So it's... I think it's irrelevant well, you know, whether or not Tony Pollard is better. I think Zeke's probably going to start because Jerry Jones deems it to be so. I think he's far more impactful and it's because he's he's just a different dynamic kind of player. He's, he's very Aaron Jones-like for me. I agree. Um, very good comparison. He's very, uh, yeah. And I think Aaron Jones is criminally underused uh, by, by Matt LaFleur, but that's for another day, day and another debate. Ezekiel Elliott has never been the same since he got was it year three he got hurt? I can't remember. He's never been the same since he was in his rookie year, that year that they, they went the number one seed Dallas. And I don't know why, and maybe it's because he got 
Yeah, I hope he's not listening to this. Maybe it's because he got fat and lazy. I don't know. Maybe there's something that's just not ever quite clicked. He's never had that pizzazz. And Tony Pollard has always appeared to be somebody with something to prove. And he seems to have more hunger, but he's definitely got more juice. No doubt about that. He's he's playing so- lights out for sure. Um, you know, undrafted out of Memphis, you know, what he did last week. Uh, you know, they 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 both you know, Zeke and Pollard both got 15 carries. So they're trying to utilize both of them. Um, but Pollard, as you saw, he was the leading receiver last last week for the Cowboys. He had six for 109 and two touchdowns. A couple screen, uh, you know, a couple screen passes were big. Um, but he is impactful. I, I agree. It, it's it's every time he touches the ball, whether it's out of the backfield, uh, running the ball or catching the ball, he's, he's a home run hitter. And, uh, you know, 189 yards total offense. Um, you know, his, his stats are extremely good, uh, for the season. He's, you know, he's, he's got 21 receptions for 243 and he's rushed for over 700 and 5.9 yards per carry. So he's only at three nine. So Pollard's giving you two more yards per carry every time he, he carries the ball. Uh, I, I agree. I, I don't, I don't know if it's a one or one a or a starter backup. The bottom line is both those guys are going to get a lot of touches. They're going to, they're going to both be around 20. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, you try to ride the hot hand, but you do get both of them involved, however you do it. And I think that, uh, I wonder the problem though, for Dallas long-term and, you know, this is not one for, for now really, but they're going to have to decide what they do with Ezekiel Elliott because he might, they might have to cut him. I don't know how they can afford to pay him what they are paying him. If he's not going to 14, 15 a year, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, Gordon's the one that loves talking about the value of running backs, but he's not worth that. If Tony Pollard is the number is essentially the the better back, then you get you get rid of Zeke at some point. But how they do that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there he's what in the first or second year of that that big contract extension that he signed or re, rework deal or, um, you know, you, you're right. I mean, are we even talking about Le'Veon Bell? I mean, it, once upon a time that guy was unstoppable. And, you know, he was a 1500, you know, a year back and now not, I don't even know if he's in the league now. And I mean, it was, it wasn't that long ago where he was, you know, putting up thousand yard seasons every single year. And, you know, now all of a sudden he's not playing in the league. The game keeps changing. You know, you're seeing a lot more uh, wide receivers running the ball. I mean, look what San Francisco does with Debo Samuel. Look what uh, Atlanta does with Patterson. I mean, he's a wide receiver and he's been playing running back and he can return kicks. I mean, all he did was just break the NFL record for most kickoff returns. But he's a guy that, you know, you're seeing a lot more jet sweeps with wide receivers. So it's not I I think the premium isn't on the running back like it was in the day when you had guys like, you know, Walter Payton and Dickerson and, you know, guys like that that were perennial, you know, Emmett Smith, you know, Thurman Thomas. Um, you know, the game keeps changing and then the game is, is not so much, um, you know, two tight ends, three tight ends, you know, 32 personnel Mm -hmm. with three tight ends and two, you know, I backs. And I mean, you still have some teams that run that kind of stuff, but for the most part, we're talking about four and five wide, we're talking about empty. Um, so if you can get a back or a receiver, that's big enough to run the ball the way that you want and can and catch the ball in the backfield. That's that's your best bag, you know, bang for your buck. Yeah, interestingly, in his first year at Memphis, he was listed as a wide receiver, and then in the years two and three, uh, running back. So he certainly got the skill set. And Gordon would be happy because he was taken at one two eight in the draft fourth round. That's where you should take a running back. So Gordon mm-hmm. would certainly like like that. That's for sure. Let's go to the other belter. Some of the other nominations. Steve Briggs says Derek Henry, undoubtedly the best all round back in the NFL. He can run through touchdowns the lot. Everyone else is just a pretender to King Henry's throne. Versus Green Bay, 87 yards, touchdown on the ground, two passes, two completions and a touchdown. Sarah Taylor suggests the Lions. The last time the Lions won three consecutive games was 2017. I feel like they deserve a wee nomination for Belter. They usually end up in the Bowfink category. Jimmy Garoppolo gets a mention from Stephen John. Vance Joseph wanted him to beat his car's defence. Well, with four touchdown passes, he certainly did this. And Max Crosby gets a nomination from Paddy Kelly. Two sacks, forced fumbled, block field goal could easily be in the Defensive Player of the Year award had the rest of the Raiders' defence not been as hopeless this season. Max Crosby out of where, do you know? Uh, I don't. 
<laughs> we know where this is coming from. <laughs> Ohio U, baby. Ohio School Crosby is a game changer, and uh, he's had a great year. Um, it's fun yeah, to watch I mean, him play. The- I mean, he played in the he played in the MAC, um, which I love watching the MAC. Got a lot of friends that are coaches in the MAC, and uh, his impact has been unbelievable. I mean, he is a home run hitter on the defensive end. Uh, he can change the game. You know his tenacity to get to the ball has, has, has been awesome to watch and he's, he's a fun player to watch and of course josh mcdaniels also out of canton mckinley ohio they just uh actually it was down with the with the boys from the uh scottish bills mafia they renamed a, a a street after josh and his family tom mcdaniels legendary high school coach in the state of ohio josh obviously now the head coach of the raiders but a uh, shout out to our ohio guys getting it done and uh, yeah, Thayer, Mumford. Little... Thay- Thayer Mumford started on the offensive line out of Ohio State, played down the road at Massillon. And for those of you out there who have not watched Timeless Rivals, if you are a football fan, let me tell you, you need to watch Timeless Rivals. It's about the rivalry between Canton McKinley High School and Massillon High School. And if you have any idea who those two schools are, they it's one of the longest rivalry high school games in the in the uh in the country that's so big that there's a line in Vegas. Uh, they played around 130 times. Timeless rivals. Check it out. Modern day coaches, the connections between those two schools. Unbelievable. Chris Bielman, yeah, yeah. Buffalo yeah. Bill, Detroit Lion, played at Maslin, was on the cover of a Wheaties box, was my teammate in 97. Wow. Got to check it out. Timeless rivals. Fantastic. Crosby was at Eastern Michigan 2015 to 2018. Oh, he's at Eastern Michigan. I was thinking yeah. he was at OU, but he's a no, Mac no, guy. No. Yeah, it, well, I was about to say that first team all Mac 2017 and 2018, which is which is highly impressive. And he's certainly not disappointed in the way that he's that he's gone out. Pro Bowl, of course, 2021 as well. So I mean it, it is quite impressive how these guys, you know, all come together. And Mac is—it's a conference that gets a little bit overlooked at times. But I tell you what, there's some great football gets played in there. So I think I—I I think I would need an argument against Tony Pollard being our belter over the week. If anybody wishes to try and challenge that, because I think he was probably the most impressive individual performance. Any disagreement, gentlemen? It's good for me, I would say. Well, that much as it, much as it pains me, much as it pains me. <laughs> that, that being the case, then we raise a glass to Tony Pollard, our Loch Lomond Belter of the Week. Congratulations to Tony. And I can tell you that the winner of the Loch Lomond Malt is Kenny Law, who nominated Tony Pollard. Kenny, congratulations to you. Let's go to the other side of the ball, the Bowfing Awards. Can I, and I hate to do this, but actually, we've had a nomination for Charles Patterson. Uh, it comes in <laughs> from Patrick Watson. Can only assume that by watching the Packers every week, Aaron Rodgers' ego transfers itself onto Charles through the TV screen going on his diatribe on last week's podcast. Notably, slagging off Scottish football, having worked on it for years. I didn't think you did too badly. Uh, I don't remember that. slagging Scottish football, but anyway, go. I, I, I didn't, but he, he just uh, he just wants to have a little go at you. But Charles, I'm going to give mm. you the platform. You're claiming that our downloads have gone through the roof since you yeah, came back. Yeah, they have, actually. Um, and I'm sure at some point later on in the season, it'll be clarified as to why. But uh, we got a message. When did we get a message? Ooh, I'm just looking through our old uh, WhatsApp chat here. And uh, here we go. Do, 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 do. Boosted number by 212 downloads last week, over 50% higher than our previous single day record. That's rising, baby. Yeah, right damn right. Damn right. And uh, Cameron was uh, <laughs> suggesting there was a technicality uh, that one person had downloaded them all. From Some the chat- stuff in the ballot, from, like, from like, the our, ch- like our election. <laughs> From the chat, from the Czech Republic. I know. Well, listen, I have nothing to do with it, but I did say it would happen, and I would have uh, raised the content and the quality of it all. And uh, anyway, I rest my case. Um, I, uh, I I'd also like to put on the record that um, I did not, in any way, shape, or form, intend to slag off Scottish football because it has, over the years, brought me much joy and satisfaction. So, 
If anyone took it that way, you can sod off. <laughs> I, th I thought you were going to be gracious there, but you weren't in the end. But thank you for that. Um, I'm going to come to, to Jim in a moment because I've got a question for him. Uh, Brian Dando says the Arizona defense, that play on the final Kittle TD was garbage. Not that I'm complaining, but the three defenders gave up. Packers fans get the vote from Steve Briggs. They've had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks spanning 30 years, had 30 wins a season for the last three years. And after years of telling us how great their franchise is and how bad the rest of the NFC North is, as soon as they're a rough patch, they boo their team. Yeah, toughest fan base in, in sport. Absolutely brutal. Packers Twitter is hilarious. It really, really is hilarious. I mean... They would fire the cleaner if they could find an excuse of the Green Bay locker room. It is unbelievable. It's pr I'm so glad that uh, I'm 5,000 miles away from Wisconsin because genuinely the place is going into meltdown. I mean, it's title town for a reason. And when they don't win, the whole reason for existence just falls down the toilet. So it's absolutely extraordinary. And I talked last week about the multitude of reasons that I believe there are for for, for Green Bay not performing this year. And I mean, we might talk about Rodgers later on with Jim, but um, the hysteria, it, it, it's like old firm fans times 10. <laughs> or England fans in a World Cup times 20. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> so they're passionate. And, and the thing that's different about Green Bay is it, it's it's publicly owned. So, yes. it, it, you know, it's it's not like you know, Daniel Snyder, who owns the commanders. I mean, the, you know, the people own the team of Green Bay. So, of course, everybody has a say. And, you know, they're not loose to, used to losing. And, uh, you know, what LaFleur has done since he's come in there has been remarkable. The, his record that he's put up, I mean, has been, you know, unbelievable as far as coaches, you know, coming in in the first few years as, as head coach in the NFL. And, you know, there's been a, a big turnover for receivers. You know, Rodgers – struggled the other night he missed he missed some throws that he usually doesn't make there was a, a square in you know coming from right to left going from you know right to left uh, with the square in, but right to left on the field and you know he had a pretty clean pocket and he just missed them and you're like what what was that you know you, you realize the guy's human you know they're they're trying to figure out um you know the run game at times or running the ball a lot more to take some of the pressure off him because they don't have a clear cut number one you know they lost Devonte adams in the offseason um, which he's absolutely lighting it up for the Raiders and uh, had the game-winning touchdown this past weekend. But uh, you got the the rookie who's starting to, to make some noise, and I believe uh, – help me with his name. Watson, uh, Christian Watson. Yeah. Christian Watson. He's, well, he's had, both of them have he's been had, quite what, good. Six, six, six touchdowns in the last two games? Yeah, five, five touchdowns. And, and Dobbs was good before he got injured as well. So the, the pieces are there. It's just It's just not clicked for a number of different reasons. But I find – you mentioned the Rodgers missing his – missing some of the throws he's he apparently gone on record in the last 24 hours to say that the thumb injury he's carrying is actually broken and he's been keeping that under wraps for six weeks so if that's the case and that explains why he's been throwing it poorly i don't know i think the season may well be gone but stranger things have happened as they say always remain optimistic so hey, listen, we'll, we'll the, the line we'll have won three in a row <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying i don't <laughs> And they don't have Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh, dear. So you, you, you can't ever count that guy out. No, I don't think you can. We're going to come back to a bit more quarterback in a moment. LA Rams get a nomination from Stephen Bryson. Collectively, one of the worst Super Bowl defenses for a long time. Maybe they should have kept the draft picks as they're going to be required and they're going to be high. Uh, the Vikings, says Sarah Taylor, after an exciting and decent win against the Bills, the Vikings, and this may be a universal phrase, it might be more a Scottish phrase, Jim, I'm not sure, but she describes it as absolutely shat the bed this week. So that's the description that comes from Sailor. <laughs> Sarah. And, uh, now, we're going to talk about the Jets. Now, Mark McEwen, Phil Spears and Stephen John, all very, very unhappy with the Jets. The offense is being blamed. The defense is being blamed. And Zach Wilson is being blamed. Phil Spears suggesting that the lad Wilson needs to sit down for a few games, not NFL standards, and the Jets need to bring it in flacco. So what I'm going to suggest here is that the Bowfing Award is probably going to be with the Jets, and I think we'll talk about this. Jim, we wanted to talk about how the young quarterbacks have come on and done them. We'll talk about one or two of the, the older stagers. Zach Wilson, what have you made of him so far this season? 
Um, inconsistent, I would say. Um, you know, coming off this last week against the Patriots, nine for 22, 77 yards, four sacks. Also led the team in rushing, three for 26. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, when, you, <laughs> when you're not throwing the ball well and you're leading the team in rushing with, with 26 yards, I mean, that, that's, that doesn't bode well. You know, Carter had eight carries for 19 yards. Robinson, seven for 10. You know, they're, they're just not running the ball well. I mean, you, listen, S- Sally's defense played their ass off. They gave up three points. I mean, the, 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 the touchdown was on special teams on the punt return to win the game. They gave up three points to the Patriots for four quarters. I mean, that's getting it done. Put yeah. some damn points on the board. Well, I, mean, I wonder, Jim, when you look at Zach Wilson, he was a number two pick, and he's playing in this system that Mike LaFleur has brought in, which is meant to be quarterback friendly. Um, and it seems to me that he's, I've I've not seen huge amounts of him, but when I have seen him play this year, it's almost like he's regressing into his shell and he's forgotten all the things that made him a good quarterback in college. And at times, I remember watching him last year against Tennessee when they beat Tennessee last year, and he was just unloading it. He was just carefree and easy, and then he got injured. And I do. How can how can somebody constrict like that in a system? You know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, injuries, you know, players, you know, rolling in and out, you know, then him being hurt a little bit too. You know, I'm looking at, you know, his body of work this year and, you know, he's been inconsistent, you know, four games where he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. Um, you know, he, he really hasn't turned the ball over that much. You know, they, he turned it over three times in the, the first time they played New England. He threw for 355, two touchdowns, uh, but just not – you know, 77 yards this week. Last week was a buck 54. You know, just too much inconsistency. Need to, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if it's – and I haven't watched the Jets enough. I mean, I just – I've seen the highlights and everything. I really haven't had a chance to really break him down as far as, you know, is is he deficient because of the decisions that he's making? Is there guys wide open? Is the offensive line breaking down? Is, you know, is he getting the ball, you know, backed up inside his own 15 yard line? A lot of the stats that, you know, make our job a lot more difficult, you know, is he turning the ball over in the red zone? You know, where is he getting most of his pass yards? Are, are they the little yards that are, you know, basically from like the, 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 the 30 to the 30 or, you know, are they cashing in in the, in the red zone and those kinds of things. So it's really hard to tell, but I know when Flacco came in there and, and he played, I mean, he's a guy who has no issue putting, pushing the ball down the field and he's more aggressive as far as taking deep shots. Um, I think Zach is more tailored to, you know, dink, 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 then home run shot. I think Flacco's a little bit different that way. He'll put, he'll push the ball down the field. He's got a lot more experience to draw from, obviously, than what Wilson does, Super Bowl winner. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if they go back to Flacco this week to get a, a shot in the arm to see if they can get them going again. Yeah, because they're in a strange place because they're actually competitive as well. So it, it's it's not like, you know, that the season's done for the Jets. They've still got chances to, to come in and do things. Let's have a look at some of the other the other quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett didn't take too long, Jim, to, to get settled into the, the starting role with the Steelers. Have you seen much of him? I've seen some. You know, I, I know the guy who trains him. Um, you know, I obviously run my own quarterback academy here. In Ohio, I've been doing it for two thousand since two thousand and seven. Kenny's personal quarterback coach is also a D three guy, Tony Raciopi out of New Jersey. He trains a lot of guys. Trained uh, McSorley, uh, to, to name a couple. But Pickett, I think, is is a gamer. Um, I, I like what he does. I'm not sold, and I wasn't sold on Matt Canada last year with Roethlisberger and what he did. So you know, Pickett's coming into an offense that I think is not real creative as far as how they how they do things compared to you know like what the chiefs do or what baltimore does with a lot of motions and and, and formations and uh, personnel groupings um i think pickett's going to be fine i think he continues to to get better um you know he's had a couple games you know he struggled against miami where he had the three turnover ball game and and the jets but for the most part i mean he's he's done a pretty good job i mean it's such a big ask uh, for a rookie to come in and start at the quarterback position. And let's be honest, Pittsburgh's not that good. 
Yeah. They're not the typical Pittsburgh Steelers team that they had. You know, then they just uh, got rid of their wide receiver. Um, you know, so they're they're trying to navigate and figure things out. I mean, it's kind of like a half rebuild, if you will, um, with what they're trying to do on offense. You know, defensively, they still have some guys in Bush and and, and guys like that. But uh, you know, they're they're you, you just don't know what Pittsburgh team's going to show up, and uh, they're struggling a little bit, and. Um, you know, but the division's still wide open. So, you know, they're right there in the thick of things at three and seven. You know, Cincinnati six and four leading at the Browns and Baltimore, you know, they're close. So, you know, there's still seven games left and Pittsburgh could turn this around. But I, I really think what's going to happen is this will be the first year in Mike Tomlin's career where he doesn't at least finish 500. Yeah, the, the fans not happy about that. But I think a little bit like Green Bay, you've got to set the expectation. You can't win forever. I think... Charles, what you're looking at when you're drafting so high is, is the guy got a chance to be your starting quarterback for a few years? And one of the questions that we had at the start of the year was on Daniel Jones and how he would play. Now, Jim's mentioned Daniel Jones. He's having a good season and the fact that the Giants are using him better, but that might actually cause them a problem because what do you do with Daniel Jones? I think if you're Brian Dable and this is working and you're comfortable with Daniel Jones... Um, then I don't think there's any reason not to keep him for another year. You could franchise tag him. But it, it depends really because the, the, the current quarterback crop that's coming into the league, according to all experts and analysis, is meant to be one of the best for many, many years. So I think you, if you're New York and you've put yourself at seven and three, you probably have to deal with the here and now in the fact that are you going to get to the playoffs? Um, and if you are, then you manage that situation. I think it would be very, very difficult for them to go to the playoffs as a wild card and maybe win a game and then say, Daniel Jones, see you later. And then we're going to rebuild because you're essentially starting again, potentially with an unknown quantity or you're bringing in a veteran. And again, that may or may not work. I think Daniel Jones has shown enough over the course of this season, and I, I said at the start of the season, I thought, I said to Jamie, and I was winding him up, obviously, I said, Jamie, well, there's nothing that has, has impressed me from Daniel Jones to suggest that he's going to be kept on. But it's a it's a bit of a no, it's a bit of a, a no risk, really, if you keep him for another year. Fair enough, you might have to pay quite a hefty franchise fee, but if he knows the system, and you can actually build around him and give him a receiver or two, then actually... It's not a bad thing. He 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 is so mobile. He's not quite Josh Allen, but he can actually play in a sort of similar style to the way in which Josh Allen played in Buffalo. And I think that that can only benefit the Giants in that regard. If you can keep him fit, I would say that they'll keep him for next year. But it's it's one of those whereby if it, if they have, if they have a collapse over the next six seven weeks, this is, I think that 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 then the decision changes and that's it made for them. Here's the thing too with mm. the Giants, the lead the leading receiver is Saquon Barkley with 31 catches. Their their leading receiver has 24 catches in 10 games. So what do, I mean? What are you asking you know Daniel Jones to do with the guys that he has? It's not you know you got Slayton, you know you got a lot of guys that you, you say their name and you're like who? You know Richie Richie James is the second leading receiver. You know, then you got, you know, Wandale Robinson, that poor kid just tore his ACL. He was one of the best, you know, receivers that they had. And now he's out for the rest of the season. So, you know, Jones is, <clears throat> he's doing what, what they need him to do. He's, he's making plays when he has to. Um, he's not turning the ball over that much. I mean, he's a guy who's thrown nine touchdowns and four interceptions, completed 65% of his passes, um, not stats to jump off the board. But at the end of the day, what do you what's what's the goal of of every game that you play to win? And, you know, there's a lot of teams that, are, that find a way to win ugly, you know, like like uh, Philly did the other day. It's not always about the stats. It's then the only stat that matters, as we keep saying, is, is the wins and losses. And uh, I agree with you. He, he's a guy in the first year with assist in a new system with with Dayball. You know, you got Saquon Barkley back. I mean, really back now. You know, he yeah. looks like Saquon when he came out of Penn State and the rookie of the year. And, I mean, he's running the ball extremely well. And, you know, they're they're getting creative with those things and they're finding ways to win. So I agree with you. I think you you don't go outside. You don't. And, 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 and if they finish pretty, you know, like they're playing now, they're not going to have a high draft pick anyways. So, you know, 
I agree. Why would you take another quarterback in this situation, you know, to develop over three? He's still a young kid. And now he's playing for another new head coach in another system. You know, it, it, everybody always wants to write the quarterback off so quickly. And, you know, the, the situation that some of these guys go through is, is some of the toughest that you could, you know, ask a quarterback to go to. Everybody says Baker Mayfield is the worst quarterback on the planet now. Mm. Well, shit, the guy broke the NFL record for rookie, you know, touchdown passes. And he didn't start the first three games. He wins a playoff game in Cleveland. Now, all of a sudden, the guy sucks and he can't play. Well, shit, he's played in four different offenses with four different coaches, two different teams. I mean, how, how can you put a guy in a system for two or three years and, and, and evaluate him that way? The, uh, it's, know, interesting, and, and, it's interesting how Joe Burrow in, in year two went skyrocketing up. And yet you see sometimes quarterbacks take three, four, five, six years to really find a groove. And there, so there, it, it proves that there's just there is no there's no one solution there. And I, is it not then the problem of the whole you have to win now? I mean, you, coaches tend to not get three years in a row when they they lose consecutively and are able to keep their jobs. And then you've got a whole turnover of a coaching system. That's not really, makes, it's not it's not healthy for developing quarterbacks, is it? No. And and the the best thing that's happened the last few years for quarterbacks is the USFL and the XFL and some of these spring leagues. I mean, I wouldn't even be sitting here talking to you guys right now if it wasn't for NFL Europe and the World League in 95 and 96 and 98 when I played. You, there's no substitute for, for game experience as a quarterback. And, you know, and some of these quarterbacks, like Mitch Trubisky, he started one year in college. One. Yeah. You know, Achilles Smith was a Heisman Trophy. I mean, he, that guy's career was three years. You know, again, another one-year starter. So my point is, you know, a lot of guys leave early, then, you know, you go into a new system, you know, then there's a new coach and then he might be there two years and then you might fire the offensive coordinator. I mean, like what Baker went through, I mean, to have to completely learn a new offense and the nuances and then the timing, and then you bring in new players and new wideouts. I mean, that is so hard to do, but with these leagues um, that are now available to guys for quarterbacks to just be able to play, to get experience. Yeah. I mean, look at all the quarterbacks that, that played when I was in NFL Europe, Brad Johnson. I mean, Gino Toretta, Casey Weldon, um, Kelly Holcomb, uh, Kurt Warner, Jake Delhomme, Damian Craig, you know, Will Fuhrer, who started for Chicago. I mean, that, that's off the top of my head. Damian Horde, you know, started for the Dolphins. I mean, all those guys we're talking about now was because that they played in NFL Europe and they had that experience. You can't get you're asking guys to be prepared as a backup quarterback and you get a quarter and a half or you know three preseason games. I mean, really? It's yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think I don't think the NFL has successfully replicated or anybody's successfully replicated what NFL Europe actually brought in terms of player development, particularly quarterback development. Because I mean, you mentioned you know. Look, look at Sam Darnold, you know, drafted high. Josh Rosen drafted high. You know, they got a second chance. It's not worked for them. Josh Rosen, of course, getting kicked out of Arizona because of Kyler Murray. A couple of other names I'm, I'm interested in the, in your take, Jim. Justin Fields. I mean, the Bears took a lot of stick at the time for, for taking him. But he appears to be making quite nice progress. He's. I mean, I, I had a chance to watch him a lot because he played at Ohio State. I really, really like Justin Fields. Um you know, a lot of the guys that I know through the Alumni Association, you know, through Ohio State, former players, you know, they, they speak very highly of Justin, his work ethic. You know, he always asks a lot of questions um, and he's playing his ass off. I mean, there, there are games that he's played well enough and put them in situations where they should have should have won. And they just they just they just haven't. Um, this past weekend was was another example of that. You know, he had a great game. They, they put a lot of points up and they just weren't able to come away with the win and but Justin continues to get better. The game seems like it's slowing down. Um, he's a, he's a guy that can, you know, hurt you with his legs. Uh, there's, there's still times where he needs to throw the ball away and make better decisions. I think he holds it too, too long a little bit, but you know, with, with that being said, you know, this, this being his first real year as a starter, you know, he, he rushed for 85 last week. He threw for 153, did have the turnover, um, but he's putting together solid numbers um, with a new coach, um, and he's 23 years old. Um, you know, he's still so, so young. You know, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. 
you know, his ability to extend plays. I mean, he's been sacked 40 times too. I mean, he's a guy that gets his ass kicked week in and week out. <laughs> he's, he's injured now. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's got that left You'll shoulder, look non-throwing, after non-throwing shoulder. So, you know, that Montgomery's going to have to to pick it up. He um, certainly made the bears more watchable, which again is mildly amusing from a green Bay point of view, but he's actually, he is quite good to watch. Yeah. And, and good there's, I mean, he's had, he's had him competitive. You know, and and that's all you can ask is is for your quarterback to to give you an opportunity to win. And, and again, Cordell Patterson with a huge special teams play. You know, with the kickoff return. I mean, they, they you know Chicago scored 20, 24 points, and you know they're I think they're getting better each week. But and uh, I think Fields is one of you know those young quarterbacks that's that's a rising star. I think he continues to get better in, in the system, and I think he um, finishes out this year. Hopefully, he's able to overcome that injury, but I think he's going to finish out the year very, very strong, strongly. A couple of things jump out at me. You touched earlier on about Jalen Hurts, and I'm going to come on to him a second ago, because one of the things you said about Jalen Hurts, Jim, was he handles the media well. Let's just talk, dial back on to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was asked on Sunday after the game if he felt like he let the team's defense down with his poor play against the Patriots. New York scored a grand total, you mentioned three points, 103 yards of offense. And apparently, without hesitation, his answer was no. Um, that's apparently not gone down very well in the locker room um, and on that side of the ball. Uh, understandably, I mean, it's a fairly tactless answer. Even if you believed it, Jim, surely that's not the kind of thing you can say. You take you take accountability for that. I mean, you, you you scored what you scored. You didn't do enough. You played like shit. Own it. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it's okay. I mean, it's, it, it, we're obviously looked at every single play. We always get more credit than we deserve. We always get more blame than we deserve at the quarterback position. It's what comes with it. And you have to assume that after you lay an egg and throw for under a hundred yards in an NFL game, that you're going to have those uncomfortable questions that you really don't want to answer. But the bottom line is you, you you didn't get it done. You scored three points on offense and you got beat. You know, if you if you do anything on offense, you beat that New England team. And you were close enough to win. Special team, you know, obviously let them down. But, man, to a man, if, if I score three points as the starting quarterback, hey, listen, we didn't get it done on offense. I didn't make enough plays. I missed this. You know, whatever it is, you scored three. Own it. Yeah. Charles, from a broadcast and PR perspective, he, he needs to be counselled in this, surely. Uh, yes, but you would think that they would already be doing that. I mean, look, the problem is when you're the quarterback, you have to stand up at the podium all the time. Um, you know, and you know it's coming. And it's they not know a it, mystery. When you yes, score three no. points, guess what? What happened on offense today? Yeah. It's not a mystery. There's a big question mark. <laughs> the elephant in the room is wearing number three for the amount of points that you scored today. Do you know, that's it. Yeah, and the thing is, he should be getting briefed. And he's young. Again, we talk about young players. Um, I mean, they do. The thing is, the NFL take character and ability to handle interviews far more sensibly than any other sport we know so you kind of know that these things are coming but do you know what if you played badly suck it up suck it. it up and deal with it yeah people just, want people want to say you know just what deal with i it. played like shit yeah i didn't yeah. play i had a bad day at the office it was the one it was the one there it was the Derek carr one last week or the week before last where he was in tears and you know i mean fair enough Derek carr is a quite experienced guy but, you know, I played bad and he started, he basically started blubbing in the press conference. And then you had Brady who bounced in after the Seahawks game and was just straight down the barrel. And these guys are experienced and it comes from experience. So he'll learn from it. it you, you, only, you only learn and get better by basically being an idiot in public and having it called out for you. <laughs> you, you learn more from mistakes and losses than you do wins. Correct. I mean, that, that, that's a fact. <laughs> Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Now, his passer rating has not surpassed 84. And, and, and to be honest, he's been between 60 and 70, which I think quite fascinating because you could say that oh, he's not been a great season, but 
15 touchdowns, just three interceptions. That's a tremendous ratio. And look, look where, he, where his team is. Sorry, that was completion percentage. I was talking about his passer rating has been over 100. But the completion percentage at times hasn't been as high as you might have wanted. But he's getting the job done. And that's what's impressing me about him. Can, can I just say on that, is it not Jalen Hurts' success is built from the fact that they're winning by being in front. I would love to see Philadelphia have to chase a game. And see what happens. They had to chase a little bit last week. Yeah, they were losing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I get yeah. you. They, you know what I mean? Are, they're they're, they're, they're beating up bad teams, and they're they're going out and they're winning these games by halftime. A lot of them, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens as they go down the stretch, and if they have to chase games, and if he has to throw under pressure. I just I mean, wonder about they, that. They, well, you saw it. I mean, mm-hmm. they you know it wasn't like a twenty point comeback, but at the end of the day, he had to take them down the field in the last minute. And, you know, he ran it in with a minute and, what, 25 left for the for the go-ahead touchdown. The, the thing that impresses me about Hurts is um, it's his second year in the system. Again, a, a, new, a new system last year, he struggled. You know, it took him a while to adapt, but, but they still found a way to get in the playoffs with him in Sirianni's first year. Now, you know, they've got pieces. they got Smith. You know, they're running the ball well. Jalen is doing a great job of – taking what the defense has given him, you know, finding his check down, finding his throw away, you know, a 15 to three turnover ratio, five to one from inter- uh, touchdowns and interceptions. That's going to win you games, but you're right. Philadelphia is the best team in the NFL uh, with their production in the second quarter. They have blown out a lot of teams, but this isn't a team that that's, that's flinching when they are behind. I mean, they can draw from a lot of experience and games that they played in last year that were close or that they lost and now these guys are playing together in, in the same system and they're finding different ways to win. Guys are stepping up in different ways. Hurts can, you know, beat you up with his arm and his leg. You know, they're getting creative in the run game. Uh, Sanders is a stud. You know, they, they can just beat you in a variety of ways and their defense competes. Their defense has a great uh, – is really good at forcing turnovers and they in the rush now with the defensive line. And now you're bringing in a run stopper like Sue, who's going to c- command a double team at that nose guard position to let those linebackers run around and make plays. I mean, Philadelphia just continues to, to find ways to win and pick up guys at certain times of the season. They just seem to find that guy. I mean, wait till you see the impact that Sue is going to make throughout the rest of this, the, the season. I mean, what he did in this first game was, mo- was uh, monumental. It's going to be really interesting over the next couple of weeks. A couple of home games, uh, Green Bay and Tennessee. And then it's my bugbear about the NFL is they then have three away games. I, d- I just think some of the scheduling is crazy. You've got to go to New York, Chicago and Dallas and then finish at home, New-, New Orleans and New York. I think I don't think there's any reason the way that things are scheduled to be on the road three times uh, back to back. And that's pretty poor from the NFL, but it's going to be really interesting to see where Jalen Hurts goes. Uh, Unless Charles has got another name, I've just got one other quarterback just to get your take on Jim. Well, we have you Gino Smith. Not many people would have been outlining his name and highlighting it at the start of the year, but he's doing one heck of a job in Seattle. Pass rating of one. Oh, Eight, you know, Russell Wilson gone. All right. See you, bro. I got it. I mean, nobody (laughs) saw this one coming. I mean, let let this be honest, but Gino's a guy that, you know, he had a a tremendous career at West Virginia. He had a a unbelievable uh, completion percentage coming out. Um, He's kind of been up and down in the NFL. I mean, I mean, this has been his, his, his chance to really shine. I mean, he, he knew that when Russell Wilson left and went to Denver, that it was his team and, He's embraced it. He's completing 72.8% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, he's doing a good job of, of, of making decisions. Um, you know, he's he's been one of the biggest surprises. I mean, I don't know if you can count him in for comeback player of the year, but, I mean, you know, he didn't really come back from anything, but he's one of the most improved. I mean, you, you got to put him in some category because what he's done has been uh, truly unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a great story. Um, it's a guy that has persevered, has not been the guy that I think every, you know, everybody thought he was going to be. And, um, you know, now all he's doing is, is really making the most of his opportunity and he has Seattle, uh, uh, you know, playing pretty well right now. Can I throw, um, bad play in for two minutes? And I want to ask you, who have you been most disappointed with of these so-called 
superstars. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, because all of them are well under 500. And fair enough, there's problems within each team elsewhere. But you're talking about the two-time reigning MVP, the defending Super Bowl champion quarterback, a guy that's just moved for a ridiculous amount of picks, and then Kyler Murray, who's meant to be the next great sensation of the next five, ten years. And all of them are playing from what we would call uh, rubbish. I mean, I think that's the way to describe it. You could put the four of them into a rubbish category. Why is it going so wrong for so many great quarterbacks in this particular season? I mean, with Murray, I, I it, it rubbed me the wrong way when there was something mentioned about the fact that he had to put more time in to, to watch watch the game. <laughs> yes, down. yes. I mean, why is that even? I mean, why is that even said? Why is that even a thing? Ask yourself that. Why? Why would that even be mentioned? Because obviously, that's that's what's going on. You know, I mean, it, and he he's so athletic that he can overcome a lot of that. Whether he's not processing the way he should be, um, you know, he's twelve and six as far as touchdowns, interceptions. His pass rating is is low, one of the lower ratings in the in the league, eighty six point nine. Um, you know, you just wonder. It's the same system. It's the same coach. Uh, you know, you still have D Hop. I mean, you got guys out there that can catch the rock, but uh, they just managed to underperform, and um, you know, they just they just haven't gotten it done. Um, Russell Wilson. I, I I I watch the Broncos play, and I I, I cringe. It, it's you know, they just Hackett didn't call plays this past weekend, but watching them you know, navigate down the stretch in certain times, you know, the one game they completely blew the clock in the last minute. Um, but there's Russell Wilson is not this bad of a quarterback. I mean, if he's still in Seattle, I think he's doing the same thing that Gino is. I, I really believe that. And that's nothing against Gino, but Russell Wilson just looks uh, like a fish out of water. I mean, there's no creativity. It's very vanilla. It's very generic what they're doing. They don't have the guys. Um, and they're just they're just not good on offense to watch. Are we looking at potentially the coach getting the bullet here? Because you know you've splashed the cash on the quarterback. You're not going to get rid of him. So I mean, Nathaniel Hackett's arguably got what six or seven games to to safeguard his job, if not save it. Yeah, I mean, and they got. I mean, they they play Carolina. I mean, <laughs> this this week on the road. But for them, that this is a must-win. I mean, for both teams, you know, Carolina's three and eight, Denver's three and seven. It's a must-win for both games or both teams. You know, Russell's you know struggled this year. You know, seven touchdowns, five interceptions, seven touchdowns in ten games. I mean, that's that's not Russ. No, you know, so you ask the question: Did his play decline that much from last year, or is it the new system? Is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it just the team itself? You know, it's just I, I don't think they're very good offensively scheme from a schematic mm. standpoint. And and the, the Rams have been even worse. They, and I, I mean, I think you know, obviously Cooper Cup's now on injured reserve, but Stafford's been poor, and the whole team just seems it's like the massive Super Bowl hangover. And I can't understand what how it can just go from that high to that low so quickly. We know it's a competitive league, but Stafford's just not. He's not been able to lift his team at all, has he? No, he's 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 struggling this year. I mean, he's thrown eight interceptions to ten touchdowns. You know, he's he's lost three three uh, fumbles, so he's turning the ball over at least once a game, um, and giving the team, you know, the the other team a, an extra possession. And the NFC West is a good it's, it's a good division. I mean, there's good teams. You can't have off days in in that division. It's not like you know, there's one dominant team and you just roll over everybody else in the in the league. And then you play your non-league games. And, you know, of course, you know, the Rams won the Super Bowl. So everybody's like playing the Super Bowl champs. You know, I mean, they're always bringing their their A game and because um, they want to knock them off. They want to see them fail and knock them down a peg after what they did. And then Cooper Cup uh, going down with an injury is, is huge for them. Um, you're talking about 75 catches over 800 yards. Uh, the guy that demands double teams that 
you know, frees up a lot of the other guys that are, um, you know, that you're wanting to make plays. So it's just, it's just been one of those seasons for the Rams um, really have not run the ball well at all. Leading rushers acres with 237 yards. I mean, that's 23 yards a game. That's, that's your leading rusher or Henderson at 283 and two, 237. I mean, they just let, let him go today as well. Like they've got, they've waived. Henderson. I mean, and we touched on Rogers' struggles, and even Brady's had difficult days this year. And it's uh, Gordon's mentioned this a couple of times in re- previous episodes. Do you think that the fact that defenses seem to be playing that much softer in terms of you know the defensive structure in in terms of two high safeties? Do you think that that has really flummoxed a lot of offensive game plans this year? And as such, we are seeing all this inconsistency in, in offensive play. I think so. I mean, you're, you're seeing more teams, you know, rush three, drop eight. Um, mm. And if you've got a quarterback who really can extend plays and it can run, you know, then you can drop those linebackers or safeties into coverage and spy the quarterback when he does go to run the football. So you can take away the advantage, making the passing windows smaller. Um, and if you've got a guy that can, you know, a couple of defensive ends or a nose guard that can really push the offensive line and get pressure with three or four guys, you're going to struggle throwing the ball. It's just that simple. Um, and you have to be able to run the ball. If, if they are only putting, you know, six or seven in the box, you got to run the football. And if you can't, you know, then you're going to roll corners down over top. You're going to have safeties over, you know, over top of them. You could play two man and, and really frustrate the quarterback. And then you talk about, again, the guys, that you teams that you play that can get home with three and four rushers. Then you have, you know, double teams with the corners and safeties over the top. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be harder and harder to move the football. So with a lot of these teams that are, that are playing well, they, they can and do run the football well. And it sets up a lot of the RPO stuff. It sets up a lot of the deep shots, play action over the, over the top, especially if you do got guys that can blow the top off. You know, like Devonte Smith. You know, guys. You know, guys like that with with pure speed. It's it's been a fascinating season so far. We will move on to some Thanksgiving football. We've got the Bulls, Lions. We've got the Giants, Cowboys, and we've got the Patriots against the Vikings. But what do our friends in the Western Isles think? Where the upset is going to come this week? Welcome to the Elder Hebrides. I'm Ian McKinnon. This is the Winifel Show, and I'm joined by Dave Somerville. How are you, Dave? I'm always glad to be here, but glad to be back, but maybe not necessarily for my uh, LA Rams, I'm afraid. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, not too good last week, and my Broncos didn't do very well either. But we're not here to talk about last week. We're here yeah. to talk about this week. And, of course, we are going to be talking about the upset of the week. So what I think we'll do, Davis, we're going to put it over to our man in the field, Callum Blaine. He's uh, out there in Las Vegas somewhere. Can you hear us, Callum? Well, we seem to have a bit of problem trying to get Callum there. I'm not sure exactly why we can't seem to get him over in Las Vegas, but... Oh, hang on a second. Hang on. There's someone at the door. Hello. Yes? Yes? Oh. Can you get home? Elvis Presley, what are you doing here? Hi, man. It's, uh, it's all rock and roll, man. Or like my mommy saying, two blowing that grace line. You're just taking care of business, man. 110%. That's really important big lessons, you know, and... I try not to try to uh, hurt my family or anybody. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, okay. Oh, you want to get home? I'll pass it on. Thank you. Thank you very much. There we go. Okay, so, well, there you go, Dave. The Cleveland Browns against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think many people are actually picking the Browns for this one, even though they are at home in this game with the Bucks coming off the bye week. Um, what do you think? Tell us, Dave, how can the Browns actually win this game? Well, there's probably about three or four different things that they have to focus on. And one of the main things, I think, is that the Browns have to play a Tom Brady-style game because what they need to do when Jacoby Brissett is throwing it, they need those quick slants and the quick outs 
to avoid the sacks because the Bucks like to bring pressure. Every time that they see that either Nick Chubb or Cream Hunt in the backfield is not going to be running it, then their linebackers just season and they zone in on the on the uh, quarterback. So uh, Jacoby Brissett needs to be doing that a lot more. Uh, we need to see a, uh, a lot from Amari Cooper in this and uh, probably Donovan Peoples-Jones on offense. On defense... They've got to stop the quick slants. Uh, Leonard Fournette hasn't really been performing, so the run game hasn't been up to scratch for the Bucks. But I think that when Tom Brady drops back, they really need Jadavion Clowney. They need Miles Garrett to really step up on the edges there and really set the edges with uh, Denzel Ward as well. Um, watching out for some of the Bucks attack, which it's just, it's it's just stacked. We know it's stacked. We uh, they just haven't really been performing, but. Uh, yeah, they need they need to pressure Brady a lot more, and Jacob Brissett I think is going to play a massive role in this. But don't forget about uh, some players like David and Joku as well at tight end. So it's not like Brissett doesn't have any uh, weapons at his disposal. And also the last week before uh, with the anticipated return of Watson as well. So we're kind of thinking that this could be probably be Jacoby Brissett's last game for the Browns. What an amazing time to go out in a bang though. Absolutely, and he's definitely going to want to show that he can still do what it takes, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to be a starter in the NFL. Last week, the Browns went toe to toe with the Buffalo Bills for quite some time. They ended up just losing that one 31 23, but they actually outgained the Buffalo Bills. That ground game's really got to do it. Uh, so yeah. we'll, we need to wait and see what the Browns can dial up, as you say, to stop Tom Brady coming off a bye week. He's at two weeks to prepare for this one. So, can I get a score prediction, Dave? You know what? We're going to go for a 20 points to 18 win for the Browns. I think it's going to be about a field goal fiasco uh, in Cleveland. And yeah, let's go Browns. Come on. Let, let's get one over Fraud Brady. <laughs> so there we go. It's the Browns over the Buccaneers. We're going to hand you back over to the guys at the Stramash podcast. Our thanks to them, and I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of the NFL Scotland podcast. It's great to see Charles Patterson back. We will raise a glass to Jim Ballard as well. Happy, with me. happy Thanksgiving when it comes to you, Jim. I hope you have a wonderful time watching football and eating turkey. It's been great to get your thoughts on all the quarterback play and everything going on. Thanks for listening to the NFL Scotland podcast, Stramash. We will be back next week with a loud-voiced Cameron Hobbs, no doubt, back. Oh, so deep no. As ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You, you can't have it all in life. Enjoy your Thanksgiving football uh, from myself and all the Stramash team. Bye for now. <laughs>